You're listening to the Mormon Artist Podcast, a podcast covering the world of Mormon arts and examining the intersection between faith and creativity. For more Mormon arts news and interviews, please visit mormonartist.net. My head though goes with the blackbird song I move. I must move on. Hello and welcome to the Mormon Artists Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Morris. Today we have joining us Robert Allen Elliott. Hi, Rob. How are you doing? Good. Rob Elliott is a professional film composer. He grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and studied music composition at Cal Poly, where he graduated summa cum laude. His television work has included Bear Grylls, Great American Bake Off, Survivor, and many others. He's scored over 80 projects for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, including a number of Mormon messages. He is the composer for the films Errand of Angels, One Good Man, and The Saratov Approach. He's currently working on the films Let It Go and Freetown. He's been married for 36 years to Catherine Elliott and has six children and ten grandchildren. So, Rob, I hear you're pretty busy these days. Yeah, it's uh, gratefully so. It's um, you know the the world of a composer is if you're is sometimes you're super busy and sometimes you're not so busy. But I've enjoyed a lot of a lot of busy uh, and great projects to work on recently. That's great. So tell me how you got into music. From I know you started from an early age. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's probably similar to a lot of uh, young children. I think I was three or four and um, expressed interest in the piano. And uh, my parents uh, bought a little spinet upright piano and um, I kind of crawled up on the bench and started tinkling away at the ivories and, and, and really enjoyed that. The, the interesting thing about how I started in piano should have been a maybe a harbinger of things to come. I, I, I really didn't enjoy taking piano lessons because I would um, often change the pieces, the little, you know, kitty pieces that they would give you to practice. I would change them into what I thought they should be. And I'm sure they were terrible. <laughs> but, you know, when you're three or four t- changing music, you're thinking that maybe they're wonderful. Or, anyway, my teacher was really frustrated with me. And so that didn't that didn't last very long. It was maybe only five, six months, and she told my mother that um, some some students just aren't teachable. And um, so I just started just self learning. And um, but in the process of that er- those early years, my piano was located near where our family television was, and I distinctly remember climbing up on the piano, my feet dangling from the bench, and turning the sound down on uh, television programs and playing the piano to them, kind of like the old-fashioned organist to the old, uh, old old films. And and just did that really to learn how to play the piano and did that for a couple of years. And then, um, and, and like I say, you know, fast forward it years later, it's what I do for a living, and I should have realized that early on. That's what I really wanted to do. So um, kind of a funny beginning, but that's how I learned how to play the piano. So how did you get into composing for television and film? You know, um, I had done an, uh, a series of ads here and there, which which initially uh, piqued my interest. Um, but the real first um, 
commercial film that I did was Errand of Angels for Christian Viusa. Um, before that time, I had mostly for, for my job done uh, ads, and then I, then I started doing some student films, um, but that was the first commercial film, and it was a wonderful association with Christian. I worked on that film for him, and then uh, a subsequent film called One Good Man. Uh, but uh, it all stems really from Errand of Angels, and Errand of Angels was viewed at the LDS um, Film Festival. I think it was 2008, maybe it was 2007, I can't remember. But mm -hmm. um, Dale Jones from the LDS Church, he's one of the senior uh, managing directors of their um, um, video and entertainment and, you know, their their connection uh, via film and video with the world. And he saw the film, liked uh, the score and wanted me to come down and meet with him and some of his other producers. And and that's what started that relationship and um, enjoyed a wonderful relationship with them, um, maybe probably 12, 13 different production teams over there. And, uh, and just things have blossomed from there. Okay. Yeah, I was at that film screening, actually, and um, I really enjoyed that film. And I really, I noticed the music. It was really lovely. Oh, thank you. Um, so before you actually got into doing films, I mean, what was what was the process of, of graduating with your degree in music composition and then eventually getting to this point where you're doing film composition? You know... It, it is a it is a long and arduous process. You um, when you graduate, you have you have high hopes, but the reality is is you're doing a lot of freebies. You're doing a lot of on spec type of things um, with with student filmmakers and or near free ads for local ads like ice cream or butter or something like that. Um, I still joke about it now, Catherine. I um, I, I love writing music to picture, and um, I, I truly get excited about writing music to people buttering bread. I I just <laughs> love I just love the the um, the collaborative uh, effect that music has with what you see and hear, um, and it just it's a very powerful medium to me personally. So um, uh, it's just an enjoyable process to be involved in. And, you know, to, to graduate from but, people buttering bread to dramatic arcs over 90 minutes is, is uh, it's a wonderful blessing in my life, and I, I don't take it for granted at all. Um, you know, to, to be able to tell stories that underlie the, the, the written story, typical stories that underlie that, that, that written story is just, just a blast. I mean, it's the, it's the best job in the world. So... Tell us about how you go about doing composition for a film. That sounds like a huge project. What's the process like, kind of, from the be um, beginning to the end? I realize that that you could probably yeah. spend fifty minutes talking about that. But what maybe what would be yeah, the yeah? In, in, in a brief summary, um, I could tell you what the first minute of writing a score to a film feels like. Mm -hmm. It feels like um, ultimate terror. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how else to express it because, um, you know, music has unlimited um, shades of blue, even just one color. And um, 
So you can go in a million different directions, literally. Uh, you know, there are 12 tones, and we still seem to keep hearing new songs and new themes and new scores. And yet, with, you know, Western uh, harmony, we, we have 12 tones. And so you, you, you kind of have this, this terror in your heart of, how am I going to come up with something um, for this film? And the process is a lot of um, talking to the director, sometimes hearing temp scores, which are basically music from other movies to get a general idea. Um, but, you know, the first, the very first thing, in fact, this is happening uh, next Monday. Um, we were supposed to start on Garrett Batty's uh, next film, Freetown, which uh, he's the director and producer of Sorotov Approach. Um, and we were actually supposed to start on it this last Monday. And he's, he's had a couple of things he wants to improve even further on the edit. And my experience with that, those kinds of delays is they're always good because it just further refines the storytelling of it. But in any case, on next Monday, he'll come to my studio and we'll put the film in my, uh, in my uh, studio screens and we'll watch it together. And he'll, as we watch it, um, he'll just make comments. He'll say, you know, I, I love this scene, but I'm not sure, and this is a for instance, right? But I'm not sure that our lead actress has really given me exactly the emotion I want to, to have displayed here. She's, she's a little indifferent, and I really want it to feel like, and you just fill in the blanks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the process of film scoring, I mean, you know, you think of your own life, Catherine. You don't have violins and horns and guitars following you around playing different elements of music as you live out your life. And yet we uh-huh. can't watch we can't watch movies or television without music, right? They, they, feel, they feel stark and, and maybe a little dull. So it helps, um, it helps create a subtext, what the innermost feelings of these people are, because you sometimes can't tell by just looking at them. So a big part of the first part of the process is understanding the director's subtext, not just what we hear, and maybe not just what we see, because oftentimes those, those elements might be missing, at least obviously to the, the, the audience. We've all seen films where we're kind of scratching our heads and going, I don't really get there. I don't know what they're trying to tell me, but I don't see love. You know, I see something else. Or I don't see hate. I see something else. And so, you know, music is a very important element to make sure the audience gets what the director wants. Now, is it always right? No, because, you know, it's storytelling. It's, it's a hard thing to do to, to tell stories. But music helps ensure that at least the vision of the director gets to the final audience that sit in the uh, theater. And so we spend a lot of time, probably a day at least, on just talking about the subtext of what uh, the story and message should be. And um, I take a lot of notes and um, and then I'll follow it up with, okay, just so I understand it, you, you want, you know, actress A to feel such and such at this point in the film. I just want to make sure um, it's amazing. The last film I just worked on, um, there was a part of the film where the director wanted to have um, something somewhat comedic. And um, I questioned it and said, you know, are you sure? He goes, yeah, yeah, I want it to be somewhat comedic. Not, you know, boom shot circus comedic, but I want it to be somewhat lighter and comedic. And so I wrote that. And knowing that I don't 
think he wanted that, but it was a short cue, so I wrote it, and um, he goes, oh, that's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, that's that's horrible. I don't want that. I want it, yeah, I want it serious. I go, okay. (laughs) So, you know, we worked it out. He's a great director, and it it was, you know, it was just a process, because sometimes I'll make the same suggestion. I go, you know, I know you want action here, but could we do love here instead, or, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, something, some other emotion to the side and, and, and it doesn't always work either. So it's, it's tricky business. So we spend a lot of time doing that. And then, and then after that, that's called a uh, spotting session. And then after that, I just get started, you know, and I just, uh, for, you know, seven, eight weeks, um, just get pencil and paper and do a lot of writing and uh, a lot more erasing and, uh, hopefully come up with a score that works. That's interesting to get an kind of insider's perspective on that. I mean, music is something that, like you said, if it's not in a film, we notice. But if it isn't a film, we kind of don't notice. It's right. It's so integrated into the storytelling. I, I agree, and I I, I'm a, I I appreciate your understanding of that because I'm one of those kind of filmmakers that or film composers that that really doesn't like writing concert music for films, and and I've got some colleagues that struggle with film composing because their music is sacred to them and you know they want people to really stand up and listen to it my job is to be as sneaky as possible i don't want people to be crying because they hear violins you know i want people to be crying because they feel something and to me that's the clever part of of film composing is when i can get people really not to notice the bassoons, the horns, the violins, but but feel what the director wants to feel. Then, then that's exciting to me, and I think it's exciting for the directors I've worked with. I, I think it's important to them as well because they're not doing a music video; they're doing a story about people. And um, you know, sometimes scores can take us out of the out of the moment. And um, you know, my job, and at least at least what I try to do, is is not make that happen, not allow that to happen in, in writing too much or the wrong kind of writing. Um, so that that's important to me. Yeah, it sounds like there would be a lot of challenging artistic choices you'd have to make when in the film you, you don't put any music in at all and when you put when you put some in, how it can enhance the emotions that those characters are are feeling, right. but but not hijack the audience's emotions. Yep, yep, yeah, while exactly. They're, while they're watching it, right, exactly. To be heavy-handed. In fact, one of the things I enjoy doing is what you had mentioned just a just a few minutes ago. Is um, I call them musical breaths, but um, sometimes the note not played is the most powerful note. So you know, if, if something is left hanging or even discontinues sounding, right, a violin, a piano, a guitar, and it just stops at that moment of the emotional arc, sometimes that's that's even more effective than bringing on the band, as it were. So, um, and, um, you know, and, and then the other thing is that it, when it comes back in, it's, it's almost a, an emotional um, relief. And um, so it's a very effective thing that I like to do and many composers do it today and um, and so it's just a it's a device that we we try to use as often as possible to create the dramatic um, breath as it were um, in the film 
That makes me think of um, the. There's a moment in the Saratov approach. Well, it's the it's the climax, the resolution of the conflict, mm-hmm. um, where you you have that final conflict. And I, I don't want to include spoilers for those who haven't seen it, but you have this final conflict, and you're waiting to see how it's going to resolve. And the music does pick up gradually, and you hear. Right. I think there are some strings and some vocals, kind of really subtle vocals come in. Right. Um, a, right. Li- a little bit stronger, but then the vocals stop, and then right. and then eventually um, this synthesizer, I think, comes in, and you get a little right. bit bit more of a beat as it kind of. Um, as the falling action of the right. of the narrative right. structure comes in. that was really really beautiful the way that that worked but i didn't notice any of that when i was watching the film i just thought it was an incredibly powerful moment and um and was brought to tears not because of the violence but because just the moment was all of those pieces that resolution of the conflict the way it was resolved the characters i don't know it was just a really beautiful moment and then this morning i was actually going back and looking at it kind of more technically what was he doing with the music there so um (laughs) is that what was going on with the music yeah yeah in fact the funny story about that scene is the film was in delays and um that scene the music was written i think about 48 hours before the theater guild of owners or whatever watched the film and oh, wow. in fact we had yeah we had to we had to it was around the clock and um you know it was one of those moments where there wasn't time to do it twice so you know like we all do when we get to that moment those moments in our life we pray like crazy right and um because it's beyond our ability, right, to, to do some task in life. And that was one of them. And, um, you know, the only feeling I had on that scene was this is power, pure power without music. I've got to make sure I don't kill this with music. And um, if anything, just to underlie and enhance as much as I possibly can. And I was really happy with that scene. I, um it was a daunting task, not just because of time. If I had a month to do it, I still... In fact, a month maybe had been a problem because maybe I would have overthought it. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was uh, it was one of those important scenes where, you know, you just had to you just had to get it right. I was I was pleased the way it turned out. I'm glad you liked it. And, um, you know, I think Garrett liked it. And, um, you know, it was uh, it was one of those kind of special projects to work on. It was, uh, you know, I, I remember the first time I saw Sarah Top Approach without any music. Um, I. I just, I really, I felt a lot of terror because I knew the story was just so good. 
Um, you know, for me as a film composer, um, it's all about the story. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, it has to be well executed and directed and, and, and shot and lit and the sound has to be good and, and all those, which I think that film was in any case, but considering it, it was a very low budget film, but, but the story was just, it just galvanized within me something that made me dig deep for some things. And um, I will tell your audience that, um, you know, uh, I worked on the Freetown trailer and uh, really got excited working on that little short two minute score. But um, since then have seen a few scenes of Freetown. I still have not watched it. <laughs> And uh, but I will tell your audience that is is excited I was about Saratov. I may have found something that is even replacing that excitement. This this next one, Garrett Garrett just I mean just gets better and better every time he does a film. It just gets better and better. And, and I'm really excited to be a part of his uh, part of his creative team. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that before Meet the Mormons, and and it was it looked like it's going to be a phenomenal film. Yeah. Um, so going back to the Saratov approach, um, I, I want to ask a bigger question of what are, what are some of the challenges and maybe they're not different challenges from other kinds of films, but what are some of the challenges of working on religious films as a, a composer? Um, that's a good question. I, I think, um, for me, um, when I watch a religious film, and there's a recent one, and I won't even mention its name, um, it's pretty popular, it's more of a general religious film, it, it, it felt like I was being um, fed a little too much with a baby spoon. Um, and I don't know how else to, to word it, but it just, to me, um, a religious uh, film needs to breathe organically from from cradle to grave and that is all the elements you know i don't like to see cheesecloths on angels floating you know i don't like to see overwrought violence sweeping through the whole thing um because it's such a personal journey you know our spiritual journeys that force feeding or on the nose kind of Filmmaking in that regard just just feels out of place to me, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons I love working with Garrett and others at the church. They they're really developing into some really wonderful, subtle. Um, this is a slice of life. This is real stuff, and this is this is how we're doing it. And it's just to me that's the biggest challenge of working on religious films is to make it um, well. Two things: one, um, not so much on the nose, and not so syrupy, and you know just heavy-handed, and two, um, as Garrett has shown, um, you know, when we're not watching a religious film, let's say we're religiously uh, minded, we're watching Lord of the Rings, and we're watching um, something else like Star Trek or, uh, you know, The Hobbit, and quite frankly, um, these religious films have to be entertaining. They can't just be religious. So, I think that's important. So that's the other step that I think is very important, that a religious film better be entertaining or we won't watch it. You know, we'll know it's good for us, but we still won't watch it. Mm -hmm. So that's important to me. So I, th I think those two other things are the big challenges. Is it entertaining and is it um, subtle and not heavy-handed? 
Uh-huh. Okay, so I'm thinking of a scene in the Shrathav approach um, where Elder Tuttle is, it's a significant moment for him. He's talking to his companion. This is after they've been captured. And he's mm-hmm. telling his companion that he originally didn't want to go on a mission. And, right. and then kind of how he converted to that idea, right. um, which right. he, and he talks about this experience he had um, in a class where he was reading the book of Luke and, and realized that um, Jesus Christ wouldn't have gone through with the atonement if there had been any other way. And so he felt like if, if Jesus Christ could honor his, his father in that way, then he would honor his father by going on a mission because he knew that his father really wanted him to. I'm sure that 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 um, that Garrett and that you probably didn't want it to feel like a testimony meeting, right? Right. Or right. or just kind of something heavy-handed over the top, and and I think that it makes it through without without doing that. So how did you do that? You know, um, thanks for asking that question. Uh, the first thing I knew I needed to do was to make the music as personal and as subtle as his very moving performance and, and really well-written script at that point of that film. So, you know, <laughs> I don't think I've ever told anyone this, but um, I just let the film go and I just improvised on the piano. You know, a lot of times I don't get pencil out and that was one of them. I just, I watched it once and then I watch it a, a second time, and that second time, I believe, is the track you hear on the film. It's just me playing the piano. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it just, um, you know, it's it's funny. It goes back to our original thing of how I got into piano. It's kind of what I liked doing um, when I was three or four. I just liked to play the piano to people talking or doing something, and that, that just happened to work on that case. Later on, I added just a little bit of a cello, and very subtle strings at the very end of that cue, but it's primarily just a just a simple little piano uh, improvisation. Okay, so you you watched it, and then I mean, obviously, um, you felt something while watching it, and then and then that emotion from the piece kind of drove your your improvisation, and that's that's what right. We, that's what we hear. So yep. Yeah, that's exactly what what happened on that. It was a, it was a neat experience, and it was one of the few times I'm I'm quite a deliberator on on music, and like I said, I I erase more than I write, and uh-huh. um, that was one of the few cases in the score where it was pretty much the, 
the first um, take kind of a thing. It doesn't happen like that. It never does. You know, if anyone tells you it does, they're lying to you. It's, it's a process of blood, sweat, and mostly tears. And um, so, uh, but that one just kind of just worked. And I sent it over to Garrett just saying, hey, I got the sketch. And, you know, I just I love the scene, Garrett. I, I don't know, just tinkling on the piano. He goes, done. I love it. It's <laughs> done. Don't do anything else to it. <laughs> Okay, so when you're in the middle of scoring a film, um, it's pretty intense. I know when I emailed you, you said that you get up at four or five and start start writing. That sounds like a uh-huh. pretty pretty busy schedule. Um, so, what are three things that you couldn't do without? Um, wow, that's a good question. Um, you know. I would say the first one is a grateful disposition. It has nothing to do with music. Um, huh. the, the schedules and the um, the schedules and the work itself. I mean, you're you're talking about something that comes out of you. You create, and in many cases, your client's going to say it. It sounds like good music, but it's horrible for this project. And you know that's the life. <laughs> Poser, so you have to be able to. I love it, but I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I love it, but it's not good for this. I mean, Elliot, what were you thinking? Um, so it's a very personal thing that we put out there, and 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 rejection is just a part of it. And but if you're grateful for what you do, if your disposition is leaning toward just gratitude um, in your circumstance and not because of the circumstance, right? I think uh, we've heard that spoken about recently but um mm-hmm. it's true because if if you're just grateful to be a film composer then you'll get it right you'll you'll do it a different way and they're gonna love it you know and you're gonna love it and you're gonna say yeah that is better so you know you just have i think that's that's number one that would be number one number two is um you know i've got a a, a wonderful studio that's that's equipped with all the latest you know sampling and mixing and, and tracking gear so I, I have the tools that I need to get what's in my head on on a film um, and then um, so that's important you know that's and then I'm and then my third one's going to be another non-working related one um, you know I'm happily married uh, <laughs> I without being you know heavy-handed and sappy, I, I have a, I have a wonderful companion who, who is also an artist, who understands the process and, you know, um, is very supportive and, you know, she's a very honest, um, you know, uh, person that I can show things to and will have an honest opinion of and just, you know, it's, it's just the whole thing. I think all three of those things together just makes this for a, just a really wonderful life. It's, it's not, you know, it's not easy. There are lots of 4 a.m. wake up calls and working till, you know, 2 a.m. And, and, but we, we wouldn't do anything we didn't really love, you know, and after a time, no one would continue to do that if they just didn't love it. And um, so I love it. And, um, and I have those three things. And so it just all just seems to work. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give for other artists who would like to eventually be scoring films like you're doing? You know, it's just um, 
live in the moment and love what you're doing. Hope it leads to other things. It doesn't always. Um, you know, if I had been a uh, composer for ads and um, and and artists and producing artists as I was doing for for many years, um, it would have been fine. I would have loved it. And, you know, if we were talking about, you know, the latest artists I was producing right now instead of films, I would probably be just as enthusiastic. I'm grateful that I now do films because I did that. I know what films are and to compare the two, no comparison to me, but not always to someone. And a lot of people that get into film composing don't like the rigors of it and don't like the rejection and, and just the hours that are involved. But I, I happen to love that. It, it fits my personality. The only thing I could say, say to to those that are looking for a career in music is find something you're passionate about, any element of it. It doesn't have to be film composing. And um, even if your final goal is to film compose, is to find other things to do that you love doing and and see how it leads. It, it, it could very well lead to exactly what you want. Um, you know, when I first started out in music, all I wanted to do was to... Um, play the piano for the tonight show and uh, <laughs> you know i had been on tour for a little bit and i had some contacts and i was looking at auditioning for the band and you know that's all i wanted to do is uh, do that and write arrangements for the band and and um and then you know it, then an ad happened and then i wrote to an ad or i can't it can't even remember it was just a tiny little ice cream ad i think and i go oh no now, this is what I want to do. <laughs> so, huh. and enjoyed that for many years. And uh, so, one thing just led to another. But but I always did what I wanted to do. I didn't do something because I had to have a job or, you know, um, I thought it's what, you know, people expected of me, teachers, professors, parents, you know. I just did what I felt I would do um, every day and enjoy doing it. And then that's the key is, is if you enjoy it, it'll just lead to other things. Just by, by natural occurrence, things things will happen. You'll have contacts that'll lead to this, that'll lead to that. Garrett's, um, my association with Garrett was because of Christian. Christian had me do a film. Christian's film festival had uh, Dale Jones see it, and Dale Jones introduced me to a producer. Well, four years later, a new producer uh, hired on at the church by the name of Gary Batty, and I did a couple of short Mormon messages for him, and we just hit it off. And then, you know, a year and a half ago, he said, hey, I'm really thinking about doing this feature, um, trying to figure it how to do it and still have this day job as a producer at the church. Anyway, so that's how it worked out. And um, my association with Garrett has led to other associations that I'm in negotiations now that are they're just as neat, you know. So one thing just leads to another. And um, so just enjoy the moment, be present, and, and work hard, and things will work out. Okay, so then that leads into my next question. Um. I think a lot of Mormon artists are afraid, starting out especially, that they can't be artists um, and also have a family, support their family, nurture their family in the way their family needs to be nurtured, do their work in the church. And it's not just Mormon artists who have this concern. This is a concern for, um, I think, artists just in general. But... um, 
But I think I think in in Mormon culture, you know, we because we because family is so important and um, we don't believe in in waiting till you're 40 to start your family, you know, while you've built up your career since then. Right. Um, what advice would you have? I mean, you have six, six children, 10 grandchildren. Well, what, here's what, the deal. How did that go? <laughs> yeah, here's the deal, Catherine. On the surface, in black and white, it shouldn't work. But here's, here's, here's the honest truth of it. Okay. Um, as we are properly balanced between the physical and the metaphysical, the spiritual and the physical, everything works better. Right. We hear it in church and we hear it in Sunday school lessons and we read it in the scriptures. But as our life, as the life is balanced, everything just is better. We're, we're just more of an instrument in, in a proper way and we just are more effective. And I, I kind of learned that long ago and it took me a while because when I first started, you know, I just thought it was ours. Right. Uh-huh. And um, but. I realized that as I nurtured a relationship with a companion and nurtured a relationship with children, that my music got better. It got deeper. And, um, you know, your audience is probably the same as me. I've been in, you know, Bishopric for seven years and now, now I'm teetooed on Tuesday nights and, um, but I don't do it because, you know, it's a boxed check. I do it because, Frankly, my music is going to be better as I as I keep my life balanced. Um, when my life is out of balance, um, everything just seems to kind of unravel. So um, if you do it, just you know, do it for good reasons. But I I personally feel that uh, a Mormon artist will be more effective and will frankly just be more of an instrument in God's hand if they are balanced and doing all the things they need to do now is is rob elliott perfect <laughs> that's a joke okay i got you know we don't have enough time to talk about that but <laughs> um the desire to have your life balanced and to see the value in, in in things other than music or art or whatever the artist's you know expression is um it will it will help and um you know, I can't even, well, I remember my music before I had all that. I, you know, I'm a convert to the church. Um, and, um, you know, I don't remember the same kind of music that I'm currently doing. And it could be a function of years of just working your craft. I don't think so. I, I think, um, you know, I think right now uh, my music is a, a little more purposeful and it's, um it's for something bigger than I even anticipated. You know, the, the challenge that I have is not messing it up um, and, and still being a proper um, instrument and vehicle for it. Um, because, you know, through agency, we, we can kind of muddy the waters, right? So we have to, we have to continue to choose, right? And so it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, I understand your question. I understand the difficulty, but I think I overthought it as I was a young man and, you know, my only recommendation would be um, just keep things in balance because you'll be better at it. And uh, is, does that mean that, you know, the person who has is, is lost his spiritual center is not talented and not successful and famous? Yeah, but my feeling on that is um, how much better could it have been? 
And um, I'm just saying from my personal experience, I think it's gotten better as things stay and are kept in balance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have three more questions, and I don't know if I'll have time to put them in. I, um, this is all very good. Um, so, okay, so... So along with that, um, I, I've known a lot of um, young Mormons at BYU who are very interested in art and are, are uh-huh. quite good. Um, and a lot of them um, end up majoring in business or or something along those lines, go to medical school. Not necessarily, not, you know, hopefully it's because they love it, but, but I think sometimes it's because they feel like I can't be an artist and be a good Mormon dad or a good Mormon mom. I think it's actually more of a pressure on young men. Yeah, um, sure. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I think, um, <laughs> just trying to think of how, because those same thoughts pass through every uh, Mormon artist, as you say. Um, you know, I don't know. And maybe just to be really bold and frank about it, um, you know, if it can't be the world's best, I'm not going to be anything at all. And and to me, that's steeped in pride. I, you know, I mean, artists are are by nature pretty proper people because they they're just. Um, they're putting it all out there, and um, I think pride sometimes can swallow us up. And you know, um, I, I think, I think, I think it can be done. Um, it's been done by lots of people. Is it easy? No. Is it harder than going and being a CPA? Maybe not. <laughs> you know, um, but you know, I guess the only advice I would give to someone if, if they ask me, you know. I, I would say, well, the chances of you being successful, not trying, is always going to be zero percent. Mm-hmm. It means it's always going to be zero. The chances of you being successful by trying is something greater than that. What it is is uh, talent meets opportunity, and that's all it is. Catherine, we know artists that we we are scratching our head and going. How is that person so successful when <laughs> I know Joe Blow with 10 times more talent? Well, they had a level of talent that met the right opportunity at the right time. So, But the point is, Catherine, is if that person did not wish to jump into that pool and, and try it out, they wouldn't even have, have had that success. So, I mean, you, you know, if you keep things in balance and you have some courage and follow your dreams. Um, you know, there is some probability above zero that you will be successful. What it is, no one knows. No one knows. But, um, you know, it depends on how, how much, how passionate you are about your art. You know, um, I, I've known a lot of artists that um, just don't like to fail. I mean, you know, everything has to be a, a success. And, the, the thought of doing it for my living, it's too much possible failure, you know, 
Um, but again, I, I've told everyone the same thing. Well, it's going to be as it's going to be a hundred percent failure if you don't even try. So you know, which one do you want? Do you want five percent probability or zero percent probability of success? And and I think five percent is always worth it, especially if you're passionate about your art and, and if you feel you have a voice in whatever art form that is. I think it's always worth it. And um, you know, provided you keep things in balance and you don't lose your spiritual core. Um, you know, I mean, that's important. So anyway, I hope that helps. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. Okay, well, I won't take up any more of your time. Um, thank you for answering those many, many questions. Oh, no problem, Catherine. I always enjoy talking about it. I hope I wasn't too worried for you. And, you know, I hope your editing skills are profound and excellent. Thank you so much. It was great talking sure. to you. Yeah, and, great talking to you, Catherine. Yeah, and good luck on the film and have a good Thanksgiving. All right. Well, at least, at least I know one person might see Freetown. Make, make a promise that you're going to go watch it. Oh, I am very much looking forward to it. I think many people okay. are going to see it. So. All right. We'll count on one. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Mormon Artist Podcast. For more episodes, please visit mormonartist.net. Music for this podcast was adapted from Blackberry's Hedge by Secret Jane, copyrighted under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 United States license. <laughs> <laughs>